Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 23. That's where we are today. And here's what it says. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Now watch this. And those who stood by said, Do you revile the do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now that's interesting to me that Paul is here and he's being judged and here's the high priest in front of him and that Paul doesn't realize it's the high priest. The reason why this is interesting, really several reasons. One is that you remember back in early Acts when Paul was going around persecuting the church, he received letters from these religious leaders to go and to arrest Christians, even up in Damascus. And he knew who these leaders were, and he's in this Jewish world. It makes me wonder this. Uh, plus, he's right there, and it's not like it's on Zoom, like many of us have had meetings today. Here's the person right in the same room as him. It makes me wonder, though, this being toward the end of Paul's life. Paul has been, uh, by this time, you remember the list in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, he's been beaten many times. He's received uh, 39 stripes minus one several times. He has been stoned. I mean, rocks hitting him in the head, uh, shipwrecked. This guy has been robbed. He, he's had all kinds of things happen to him physically. In fact, he said, if I remember right, to the Galatians, he said, you remember I had infirmity, he said, and I know that you would have even plucked your own eyes out and given them to me, which to me gives an indication that Paul, maybe because of all of the physical abuse that he had endured, had some problems with his eyes. And so it makes you wonder if he's not here, but he's not able to see very clearly who that is on the other side of the room sitting in that seat and bringing judgment to him. So at least that's that's. I believe a possibility that's happening here because as soon as they said, do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know brethren that he was high priest for it is written. You shall not speak evil. So he said, if I had known that was the high priest, I wouldn't have done it. Paul is a Pharisee, a former Pharisee. He is aware of all of these people, all of these things, but it makes me think that he's just not able to see which, by the way, could have been uh, all of or a portion of what he talked about when he said there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to beat me, a thorn in the flesh. And so you think about those thorns, that, that, that word thorn, and of course, Old Testament Hebrew uh, would be a different language, but 
God said, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of Canaan, they will become thorns in your side. And one passage, even thorns in your eyes. And so uh, I think that this is all very interesting. I don't think that we can dogmatically say that's exactly what physical problem that Paul was talking about when he was dealing with the thorn in the flesh. But nonetheless, this right here, this passage gives me the idea that Paul was not seen as well as he did when he was a younger man. He'd been through so much for the sake of the gospel. We don't have any record that he had these kinds of physical problems before he began to be abused, persecuted for the cause of Christ. Boy, it just tenderizes your heart toward him, doesn't it? That he would continue to persevere and go on to city after city, knowing that these things would happen. And what we've read in recent chapters that the Holy Spirit would warn him, if when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And Paul said, I'm ready to be bound. I'm ready to die for the sake of the gospel. And so what a precious man. But he, he as soon as they told him, do you revile God's high priest? He said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, boy, he knew the scriptures. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So it goes on in verse 6 to say, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now let me just stop and put this in perspective. The Pharisees and Sadducees were both high-level religious leaders and rulers, two sects of Jewish leaders. However, there were some stark differences between them theologically, and uh, namely that the Bible brings out the Sadducees did not believe in angels and spirits like the spirit realm. So they didn't believe in all that, where the Pharisees did. Also, the Sadducees did not believe there would be a resurrection. In other words, when you die, you die. <laughs> what a hopeless way to live. Uh, what's interesting, though, is the Sadducees were the ones that uh, the high priest would not come from the Pharisees. The high priest would always be from the Sadducees, from the really the family of Saduk. This is where Sadducee comes from. And so some have said, well, see, they don't believe in a resurrection. And so that's why they're sad, you see, you know, just sort of a joke. But the fact that these theological differences existed, and the Bible says when Paul realized that there were both Sadducees and Pharisees, and again, if he had good eyesight and maybe looked at how they were dressed uh, based on their sex, even today in Israel, you can see the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox and their various hats, the curls on the side of their head, the way they have their beards shaved, the way that they wear their coats and such. And people who are in the know, I'm not one of them, I can see the differences, but people who are in the know could be able to tell which rabbi they follow based on how they would dress and such. But Paul he finally discerned that there were both Sadducees and Pharisees there. But it's interesting that he didn't see that right off the bat. And again, it could be because of his physical infirmities, namely his eyes. So it says, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees. Now listen to what he said based on those theological differences. He cried out in the council, men and brethren, 
I am a Pharisee. What is he doing? He is appealing to those Pharisees. I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And so the Pharisees did not like that the Sadducees would persecute them and confront them about believing in the resurrection of the dead and such. And so when Paul said this, watch what happened. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, verse 7, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say, or here it is, there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. They were there to accuse him at first, but once he says, for the hope of the resurrection, I am being judged, and I'm a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee, they said, there's nothing wrong with this guy. You know, you Sadducees are always trying to do this to Pharisees. And so he really uh, played into the divide that was between the two of them. So what happened? Verse 10. Now, when there was a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded that the soldiers, uh, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord, oh, this is so precious. You don't see a lot of red letters in the book of Acts after chapter one. But this is one of the places among others that you do see it. But the following night, the Lord, this is talking about Jesus himself. The Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So what does this say? This says that Paul pers uh, persisting, to go to Jerusalem, even when people were telling him, chains await you. And one passage even said they were telling him by the Spirit not to go. And it gives you the impression that the Holy Spirit was telling him not to go. But no, I think because of the other passages where they were simply saying chains and tribulation await you. And then along with this passage where Jesus himself told him, no, just as you testified to me in Jerusalem, for me in Jerusalem, you must also go and testify for me in Rome. So the Lord wanted him to go there and him being arrested in Jerusalem, then taken to Caesarea, he eventually made it to Rome. This is the progression where he will eventually come before, we believe, uh, the emperor of Rome. Okay, verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, why are they saying that? Because they're trying to manipulate the leadership. And so uh, they're wanting the leadership to play into their hands. So they're saying, we're not going to eat or drink. Verse 13. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So they're 
they're calling on the leaders to play into their hand and to set Paul up so that they can kill him. Verse 16, so when Paul's sister's son, so this is a sister's son, this is a nephew, heard of their ambush, so the word got out, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Uncle Paul. Uh, then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, so he must have been a young enough boy, uh, for that to, you know, make sense, be comfortable. The commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Very wise. Verse 23, And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers. Boy, he's taking uh, much precaution here. Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. So that's, a, that's 470 soldiers. And he goes on to say, to go to Caesarea. Now Caesarea is that city out on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's the closest, closest port, beautiful port, by the way, Roman port, built by King Herod the Great. Beautiful. Uh, but it's the closest port on the Mediterranean coast to Jerusalem. So that's where Paul is now, Jerusalem. So he said, prepare all these soldiers uh, to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. And so this is in the middle of the night, so to speak, and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Here's the letter. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him having learned that he was a Roman. Well, that story is a little, you know, makes him look better than he was. Uh, verse 28. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out he was accused concerning questions of their law, Jewish law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. That's the end of the letter. Verse 31. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Uh, the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So uh, I can picture this, by the way. I've been to Caesarea 
there, Caesarea Maritime. There's also up in the north of Israel, Caesarea Philippi. But this is Caesarea Maritime, in other words, out on the coast. And I can just picture it, of course, not like it was in that day, in its heyday, when King Herod had built this beautiful port, a, a big money maker for Rome and for Herod the king then. Of course, uh, King Herod the Great had already died by this time, this some 40 years or more before, but the port was still in uh, working order. Much commerce came to this port. It would have been a bustling uh, port, one of the biggest in uh, the world at that point. But I can picture the scenes from being out there and Herod's Praetorium and such. In fact, when you go to the uh, the place there where the, you know, the remains that have been excavated, you know, you can actually see where the base of walls were and such. And there's a particular place that has a little sign and it says it's believed that this, this may have been the place where Paul was kept, uh, in this Herod's uh, palace that was out there on the coast of the Mediterranean and such. So anyway, as I'm reading this, I'm picturing all this happening to this dear apostle of ours. Well, bless the Lord. Uh, we're reading through some history, so it's not as if Paul is writing to us about uh, what we should do as believers and such, but we're watching the example of a man of God, someone who has gone through decades now serving the Lord, enduring persecution, uh, affliction, abuse, all kinds of things. And yet here he is, still being true to his calling, even being a prisoner. Uh, they want to kill him so bad. that, In a way, that's how you know you're making an impact when people want to kill you, including religious people. They want to kill you because uh, you're making such an impact. The gospel has changed so many lives and they're jealous. They're literally jealous about it. All right, well, that's chapter 23. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow for chapter 24. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.